Welcome to Cooper Talk, presented by Walk My Mind. Bring your body, bring your mind. This is Walk My Mind, a holistic approach to wellness that connects the dots of physical, mental, and emotional health. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest, and I have a great guest today. I, I talked to her years ago, and uh, she comes from a family where her father is one of the most influential, if not the most influential comedians in the history of comedy, and she's just has so much going on. She's always busy, and she's always a pleasure to talk to, and my guest is Kelly Carlin. How you doing, Kelly? I'm doing good, Steve. Good. You know, it's funny. I want to talk to you about a bunch of stuff, but I want to start cool. off about your seminar, because I went online last night, and I believe it's your second time doing this. I think you did it in the summer. I'm not sure, but it's coming up. It's the autumn cycle, and I want to hear all about this. It's called Unplug with Kelly Carlin. I want to hear that. We'll talk about the other stuff later, but I love seminars, because I started taking this marketing one I got for free, and they're pretty, they're pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, I um, this is this is kind of like coming around full circle for me. Um, at least the teaching stuff is. Um, but in particular, what I'm doing this fall, which I just did this summer, is it's it's a series of live webinars, and I really love that particular way of doing these things because the people who want to join on live, it feels like. A happening it feels like you're sitting with a bunch of people and you're interacting because there's a video screen up and people can see me and there's a chat room and we're talking and so I just I just love that feeling of like actually being in the room with a bunch of people and then of course if you can't make it to the live thing then you know um, people can always you know watch it later but but what got me motivated about this and this this idea of unplugging was not this summer, but last summer, in the summer of 2016, I walked away from social media for three full months. And I'm a person who has been all in with Twitter and Facebook since like 2008, 2009. And I just found in my life, because partly um, my dad, you know, being my dad's daughter in the world and having done a um, um, uh, having done you know my, my, my memoir and my solo show that I, I needed a way to kind of reset my life and plus last summer the, the election was going on and it was just insane um, so I went off social media last summer and it was it was fantastic it was life-changing it was a huge reset for me personally around my relationship with my dad's fans and how I wanted to present myself in the world and all of that but also just as a mental health thing it helped me reconnect back to myself now how was the and, first I'm sorry how was the first day like what is that like because you know we sit there we get so you know I mean I, I quit smoking five years ago when I walked out of the hospital and I said I gotta quit okay and yeah it was a a choice that it was like, hey, do I want to hurt my heart more or do I want to quit? You know, and I said I want to quit. But what is it like? Because I know you're very active and you're on Twitter. And, you know, I know I've been tweeting. I, I tweeted with you before me, you and Matt Iceman one time during American Ninja Warrior. And yes. what was it like? I got to ask that first day. Like, was it something where you were saying, I'm going cold turkey? Or were you saying, you know what? If I slip up, it's okay. I have tomorrow. Yeah. No, total cold turkey. I was so ready for it, Steve. I was longing for this kind of situation. But I have to say, my 
um, my, my brain and my body, like my neurology was absolutely addicted to it. And I would say the first 10 days, it was really creepy because I would get like a little anxiety or tension in my body or whatever. And before I knew it, I'd have my phone in my hand <laughs> and I'd be going, why is my phone in my hand? Like, what, what was that about? You know, because my phone, my hand would just naturally reach for the phone and just, you know, let's go into Twitter. Let's see what's going on in the news, the news cycle. You know, that was another thing too. And so I had to give myself a little something to, you know, kind of like a nicotine patch. So what I did, which worked for me was I ended up signing up for Instagram because I'm a photographer and I decided that I would just post pictures and only follow people on Instagram that put up beautiful pictures so that if I did need a little bit of a mental health break from something, I could, you know, I could go on Instagram and I could post a cool picture or look at cool pictures. And that could be my quote unquote, you know, social media thing, but I didn't use it in any way. Like I use the other stuff. So yes, it is a physical addiction. It's, it's a mental addiction is really what it is. But mentally, it is physical because it's the hard wiring. And it is about needing a dopamine hit. You know, you're we're addicted to these, you know, um, uh, something new, you know, we're, we're, we're our brains need novelty. It's, it's how we're hardwired as humans. And thank God we are because if we weren't hardwired for novelty, we would have never invented fire, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you do come up against that, though. And um, so but 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 it was fantastic. I have to tell you, it was fantastic to be disconnected from all of it, to be a part of to, to be away from it um, and to not not let the news cycle and the social media cycle be running my day and running my brain. Now, and so I got, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying, now did you tell people you were going off it? Cause you know, you always see that on, on Facebook. People go, Oh, you know, it's, I always call it, you know, I should start a bait store for the people who fish for compliments on Facebook. They're always like, Oh, um, I'm leaving Facebook or, uh, you know, and they never do. Did you tell people or did you just, just no, disappear? I, I told people because I am so active normally. and I didn't want people to worry. <laughs> And, and I think it is an important thing around accountability to let people know what you're doing. You know, that if you don't tell people you're quitting smoking, then you can kind of get away with cheating. Um, but if you tell your family and friends, hey, I'm quitting and, you know, I need support around this, you know, then there's a, a kind of a built-in support system. So, um, and part of it is, too, a little bit of like a rebel kind of a, a brag kind of a thing like, hey, I don't need you people anymore. I'm getting the hell out of here. <laughs> For sure. That's that's an element of it. But, yeah, I told people that I was leaving and um, and it was great. So so what happened then this summer, uh, last spring, I, I knew I wanted to teach some online courses this year. I wanted to get back into teaching. I used to I, every once in a while I lead workshops and I used to be. Uh, before my dad died, I had a pretty robust um, private practice as a life coach. I've got my master's in um, counseling psychology with an emphasis on Jungian depth psychology. So, you know, I used to do this work a lot. And, and um, I'm a practicing Buddhist, been sitting and doing meditation and studying Buddhist philosophy for 20 years. So all this stuff is an important part of my life and it's integral to who I am. And I knew I wanted to start teaching this year. And 
So I did a little pilot program and an experiment in the spring and kind of did a little mindfulness and did a little meditation and brought in a couple of other kind of things I do. And then at the end of it, I really drilled down with my, my pilot participants and, you know, asked what was the, what was the biggest takeaway? What was the biggest life changing thing for you? And they all said it was the mindfulness and meditation part of it. And, um, that it really has helped them manage this very, very chaotic time we're living in and gave them some real tools. So, so I decided to kind of make that the foundation of these webinars. And so what we do is, um, and what I'm doing this fall is I'm doing them on Sundays, um, 10 a.m. Uh, West Coast time, 1 p.m. East Coast time, and you know, then 8 p.m. UK time. I've got a lot of, I've got a couple people in the UK that, that are a part of the, the group. And, um, and we always start with a sitting meditation and I teach people how to do that. I teach people how to sit how to watch their breath, what to do with their brain and their mind while all that's going on. I teach people about mindfulness and give them little uh, tools and techniques about how to integrate that into your daily life. Um, and then I'll talk about a topic about all of this stuff, you know, like, you know, how to, you know, how to kind of focus your life in a direction where you're more in choice and you're steering the car of your life more using some of my life coaching techniques. Um, we do journal prompts, stuff like that. And then um, we usually have time. I usually have about 15 or 20 minutes at the end. And we, I bring someone up on the call because uh, the people who are live there, um, most of them are on their computers and they have access to their video cameras. So they'll come on to the call and I'll bring them up video-wise. And um, I'll just coach them through a little something that they're dealing with that week or maybe a problem they're having with their meditation practice or something like that. Um, and it's, it was just, it was such a joy to do during the summer. Um, and, and, and there's an online, um, form discussion area that's included with, with the course and the people who are really into that, um, thrive in that area and share with each other. And a little bit of community starts to happen. Um, because, I really do believe that all this stuff takes a village. <laughs> you know, it, it takes it takes a group of people around us to reflect and mirror back to us that we're all human, we're all stumbling all the time, we're all just trying to figure it out, and then to lift each other up in those moments and also to, um, you know, kind of be our champions and and cheer ourselves on when we're doing when we're doing good stuff. Now, when you when you did it in the summer, when you were putting your, I don't know, it was the syllabus or your 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 plan, your game plan together. Yeah. How did you figure out what order you would do things? And you know, when you think about it, you know, we and you can talk and say, you know, because you've done it in eight hour and a half lessons. You know, when you break it down, that's a lot. I mean, to plan. I mean, people don't think that, but you know, when you're talking and you're teaching, I know everyone gets caught up in it and they talk to you more, but how did you go about putting your plan together? Like how did you, in what order they go to? And did you ever worry that, you know, questions and answers? What if people are really enjoying it? Do you cut it off then? Or do you keep going? Because if you're getting all these questions, which I know in Q and A is sometimes a lot of them are great. Some are just, you go, what? But what did you, I mean, how did you formulate what order you're going to put things in? 
Well, for the summer one, I knew it was my first time doing it, and I'm a very intuitive teacher. I kind of just, I kind of steer from my gut, and so I knew that I wanted to start off for sure with a mindfulness lesson, and I started off with getting everyone who was coming onto the call to bring like a grape or a raisin or a small piece of chocolate because I was going to do some uh, mindfulness eating and really use that chance to kind of... um, break down and unpack the different aspects of mindfulness around that particular exercise. And that, if you've never done it before, is like life-changing. When you get someone to eat a grape or a raisin in five bites and take five minutes doing it, you see immediately the power of mindfulness because your experience of eating changes. So I knew I wanted to like start off with that and give people a foundation and a big aha moment. And then from week to week, I had some topics that I knew I wanted to do, but I really would do my own kind of meditating and um, just kind of seeing what was popping up as far as like reading wise for me or what was what, what I was feeling challenged around, you know, maybe feeling overwhelmed with social media. I invited people if they wanted to, to unplug all summer from social media, if that was something they wanted to do and wanted some... Uh, structure around that so I talked a little bit about that but this isn't the kind of course where you're going to be getting like 10 things that are that are going to build on each other and it's not really a course I really designed this more of a place for you to land each week I want to give people the opportunity to at least for 90 minutes a week to turn everything off, shut the doors, you know, kick the kids out, tell the spouse that you're, you need some you time and, and to just take a deep breath and sit with themselves, learn to sit in silence and then also turn their, their mind and their heart towards themselves and to check in with themselves and their own life and the choices they're making and the visions and dreams they have for themselves. So each week, it didn't really build on each other. I would just know that there was some deep topics that I wanted to get into. Now, this fall, I, I, at the end of the summer, I was realizing I wanted to do this again in the fall. And I'm a person who loves these the next two seasons coming up, fall and winter. And I wanted to kind of plug into the thing this fall that I love, which is a chance to kind of sink into a different headspace, you know, because the days are getting shorter and there's like a coziness that starts to happen and there's a chill in the air and the leaves start to change in most parts of the country. I live in LA, so it's evergreen here, but you do the angle of the sun changes and there's just a different vibe to life during the autumn season. And so I I wanted to get people kind of plugging into What's it like in order to go deeper into our own self, deeper into our lives, to really start to sit with who do we want to be, how do we want to walk through this life, and during these chaotic political times in our country, in America in particular, but really all over the world, how do we want to walk the walk and talk the talk? And and so I'm, I'm designing these classes There'll be standalone independent classes, but I'm also holding in my heart and in my mind 
that we are heading towards the winter solstice. And for me, that's one of the most powerful days of the year. It's the shortest day of the year. And it's really, for me, is the is the marking of the end of the year and the new year. And I do some powerful kind of resets, rituals with my, with my own life and my own self, which I'm going to be offering to this group. Um, so I'm going to be doing eight weekly calls, and then we're going to take a break in November, the holidays start up, and then I'm going to do two live webinars in December where we're going to do a little bit of work about the end of the year and closing up the year and honoring all that we've done and mourning all of our losses and celebrating all of our wins and then another call another webinar where we get to kind of tee ourselves up for the new year who do you want to be what is this year about what is your vision for your life what's the big thing you're ready to tackle that you've never tackled before and and really get people um, set up for a year that they can walk into that is powerful for them and um, and is meaningful. Now, you said the resets. Now, what, what are some of the resets you've done in the past? You know, when you say a reset, because, you know, we all we all go through things where we want, we want to change things up. You know, we want to, you know, you know, me, it was moving. You know, I was tired of L.A., so me and my girlfriend moved back to New Jersey, and that was somewhat yep. of a reset. It's something different, and, and I'm so excited for fall, and I'm so excited for Christmas because living in L.A., you know, you can't shop for a Christmas tree with shorts. It just doesn't feel right. <laughs> And you're sitting there, you go out, you're like, wait a second. Here, it's like, I don't care if it's cold. I it's I loved Christmas as a kid growing up. And this is one thing, I, and as you said, fall. Fall is a beautiful season when you're back east. But So we did that sort of reset. But what kind of resets are you talking about? And what, what were some of your, your examples of some resets that you've done? Yeah, you know, I, we always, I mean, in our lives, we always feel like we're in transition in some way. You know, we're always moving from one way of being to another way of being. And so, you know, I mean, some of the resets I've done in the past is, um, I mean, one year I knew, and this was 20, 2013, turning the, 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 the December of 2012 into 2013, I suddenly knew that 2013 was going to be the year of the book for me. And I was determined to, no matter what, gather some essays um, gather my writing and I, by the end of the year, I was either going to have a book deal or I was going to self publish something. And that year I really committed to my writing life and expressing myself. <clears throat> and that was the year when I was doing my podcast, waking from the American dream, which I'm going to be starting up again this week. Actually, I'm very excited, but I, I decided that every week with my podcast, I would write a, an essay for it, a three to five page essay, personal essay that would kind of launch the podcast and launch the theme of the day. And I did that. And by the end of the year, I had 26 of these essays and I felt like I had a real sense of where I was in my life. And I had tackled some topics that I felt that we all kind of tackle, you know, perfectionism and, and living in the shadow of our, of our parents or trying to find our voice or living out loud. And I was really excited about that. And then I went to New York and I was doing my solo show at the time and I was part of a uh, one person show solo festival, which was very exciting. And lo and behold, by the time I left New York, um, which was about a two week trip, um, I had a book deal with a real publisher. And I'm not saying that like I made that happen because I made this choice in December, January, the year before. 
but I know that I was ready for it. And I know that I showed up in the world differently because come higher hell water, I was going to put my work out there. And, and so that's like, that's like one way I did it. Like my vision is usually for me, my resets are usually about, okay, so what have I done this year? What, you know, what went well? What did I, what did I walk towards and accomplish that I set out to do? What did I let the ball drop on? You know, what did I, what were some losses that I had that I had no control over? Maybe health issues or a, a loss of a family member or friend or, you know, or just chaos in the world, whatever it is, but really acknowledging the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful of the year. And then from that point, helping myself decide, okay, so who would I, who do I want to be next year? And, and what do I want, what am I ready to step up and into? And I usually, you know, encourage people and I'll be doing this through the webinar to kind of find a phrase um, that can feed you throughout the year, your kind of own personal mantra or mission statement, you know, that can you can keep tapping into um, because we get lost. We all do it. We all get busy. We all get overwhelmed. We all get caught up in the news cycle, you know, whatever it is. And we forget like, oh, yeah. I said I was going to be, you know, spending uh, two hours a week writing my novel, you know, and I haven't done that in two months. Oh, yeah, I need to reset, you know. So there's, you know, there's health resets, there's creativity resets, there's career resets, there's relationship resets, there's relocation resets like you've just done. Um, but I think it's a really ripe time of year to do that. Now, you said... Um your book. Tell me more about your book because I know it's the Carlin uh, Home Companion. First of all, how'd you choose the picture for the cover? Uh, well, that's one of my favorite pictures of my dad and I. And when I got the book deal and I got into the writing of the book and they started asking me to think about, you know, a cover or something, uh, I knew immediately that that's what I wanted. And at first they weren't so sure about it. The publisher was like, oh, well, you're not really smiling or whatever. And I'm like, well, it wasn't always easy times. <laughs> but they, 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 I think they did a great job. They highlighted the bananas and they, they, I think the art, the graphic art on the, the book is just, it's just, I just love it so much. Um, and my book was something that I had been working on for about 15 years. I started writing my life story and some personal essays in the year 1999, 2000. I started to do a solo show back then, ended up not doing it um, for a bunch of reasons, one of which was it made my dad uncomfortable and I wasn't ready at the time to kind of claim and stake my, my place on the stage. Um, and I just... I knew that I had a survivor's story. It wasn't, this story really isn't so much at all about being George Carlin's daughter. I, he happens to be my dad and I happen to be his daughter. And because of that, we went through a lot of amazing things together and a lot of crazy things too. But I really wanted to tell the story of a young girl who was an only child, who was enmeshed with her parents, who both parents had addiction issues and one parent had an amazing, exciting, explosive, legendary career. And all of that created 
um, issues for this little girl and this young woman. And, um, and, you know, the issues I tackled were, and still do, are anxiety and depression. I had panic attack disorder. Um, you know, the codependent nature of my family dynamics was intense. I ended up getting inside of some um, abusive relationships with men. I had my own issues around addiction and a lot of self-esteem issues about not feeling good enough, perfectionism, and a real difficulty in finding my way out into the world and then finding my own um, sense of self and my own voice. And, And because of all of that and because I had found my feet on the ground and a sense of myself and not a perfect one and um and and i'm and i'm not an expert and and i'm not you know some sort of genie guru at all of this stuff i'm just a human trying to make my way through it but i did find my way through the other side of most of it and i wanted to share that survivor's tale and i also knew that i had some great stories to tell i mean my mom and dad and i lived through some very exciting times and and getting to be backstage and watch my father's career from my perspective was a very unique path and and the other piece of it too is that my dad never shared his personal life with the world while he was alive and so people i know are curious about him and wanted to know what kind of a father he was, what kind of a husband he was, uh, what kind of a man he was struggling with his own creativity. And I knew that I could give a glimpse of that just through my storytelling um, to people who were interested in that. So, uh, and I loved writing the book. I'm a writer. I would, you know, I, I would spend the rest of my days every day writing books if I could. Um, and I, I, I loved the process. And, and I learned a lot by, by writing the book, too. Now, when you went to, you know, when you got the book deal, what were people expecting? Because, you know, as you said, you didn't want to just give stories. You wanted to give essays. You wanted to give your insight. You wanted to explain, you know, you. It wasn't just about your dad. And you know how people, I know with book people, they sometimes they want something that we wanted to sell. What were some of, like, what, when you were starting to pitch it, what were you what were you pitching? What were you saying? What were you saying? Okay, here's what the book's about. And how was the response at first? Um, uh, we were pitching it as a memoir, um, which it was. it's 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 a full length memoir. It's not separate essays. And we were pitching it as absolutely that this was my I mean, the the subtitle is growing up with George, and that it really was the father daughter dance. It was like how my relationship with my father, and of course my parents, it, you know, but it wasn't focused on my mother solely. Um, you know, I mean, my mother was obviously a part of it and, and, a, and a huge part of my life, but it was definitely how my father's career and how growing up in the shadow of a man like that affects a young woman's path. And, and to the book, the first hundred pages are very much about my childhood and very much about me being swept up into his career. And then the next hundred pages is about kind of the um, the results of that, you know, like the addiction and the bad relationships and me feeling very lost and having a really crazy first marriage and, and just a lot of chaos, creating my own chaos in my life because of the chaos from my childhood. And then the last third is really about me coming out of my chaos and 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 deciding to plant my feet on the ground and to really find a sense of myself and to heal all of that part of my life 
and then it goes up to my father's death and it, it you know and it, it, it although there's a lot of healing that went on and a lot that happened the last third of, of, of my life with him um, you know there's always there's a still a lot of work to do you know and um, so the publisher was great though and my editor was great because they knew it was my story and at the same time we knew that Carlin fans were going to be picking up this book and so I knew I had to feed both I knew I had to feed the interest of the people who wanted the behind the behind the scenes glimpse at it because I knew I was giving it that and I knew that I had to I had to write and work authentically from my story and that if it wasn't ultimately my story there was really no point in it and um, it's kind of like when I did my solo show which is I used the scaffolding of my solo show to to, to, to kind of outline this book, although the book is way more in-depth than my solo show ever was. But in my solo show, I used to say to people, um, you know, people come for the George, but they stay for the Kelly. And that's what I found with my book. The feedback I get from readers, um, whether it's on Amazon, the people who love it, or the people who find time to actually email me personally, is that they went through a lot of the same things I went through. Okay, maybe their dad wasn't famous or their mom wasn't famous, but they have felt in the shadow of a parent or their parents had addiction issues or that they were an only child and felt like they had to be a grown up at the age of four. Um, you know, or they, they, they always felt lost as a girl or as a young woman and, and had are still having trouble finding their sense of themselves and healthy boundaries. Um, or that they've always felt creative and they haven't had the courage to pursue their creative life yet. Um, or they had panic attack disorders, you know, or whatever it is, or they've lost a parent, you know, I've lost both my parents. Um, so it's been really a beautiful thing to connect to readers when I know that my life story, which is the whole reason we read books, is to find out how do other people, even if it's characters in a novel, how do these humans do this human thing? Um, and so it, it really is just one human reaching out to another and saying, this is how I did it. Maybe my life story or how I do things might be able to give you some courage and some hope. Well, I think that's also valuable just for the fact that you're right. You know, people go through, everyone goes through the same stuff. And when someone who grew up with, as you said, your father was legendary. Well, when you find out that, you know, it's not always, you know, so many people think, oh, oh, this person's popular. So, you know, their, their child must have it so easy. And it's good right. that, that people, when you can write something like that, that people sit there and go, wow, you know, they went through this. So if they went through it and I'm going through the same thing, it's okay. And that's very valuable. And that's one thing good about when, when, you know, people who have come from, you know, families or who have been in the limelight sit there and tell people what was going on with them. I think it really helps the healing process too for a lot of people who would never expect Kelly Collin would go through that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's part of the balloon. I, uh, you know, I, I like popping is that kind of illusion that you know we put we put these people, these celebrities, up on pedestals, and don't allow the, allow them to be human. And and some people don't want their their celebrity taken off the pedestal, you know, and that's fine. Um, and and you know, and I think the important thing too is that people understand when you know, when you go to tell your own story, and a lot of people feel compelled these days to do that. I mean, we do live in an Oprah time. I mean, I that definitely, 
you know, Phil, Do Phil Donahue and Oprah time for me is, is part of my generation. We talk about our lives. And I think one of the most important things that people need to know, and you can tell the people who didn't read my book, who just kind of have a take on it on Amazon, because they're all like, oh, you know, just another rich girl's version of wah, wah, pity, self-pity party. And it's like, there's no self-pity in this story. You know, I, I was a little kid. I went through some things. I acknowledge that I was a victim of some things and then I take full responsibility for my life and then I made choices in it as an adult and they did not work out and I needed to go and work on myself and when you tell these versions of your story you know this isn't the version that you tell your therapist you know this isn't the part where you're inside the victimhood of it and you're um, and you're angry and you're mad and you're feeling sorry for yourself and you're feeling powerless you need to communicate the part of you that felt like the victim and felt powerless in certain situations, but you need to do it with, with such a deft touch because you need to bring the reader in enough that they can live in your shoes, but at the same time, it's not about, oh, I'm here to blame the world for the things that happened to me. It's like, no. This is a human journey, and sometimes little kids get caught up in the chaos of the big people, and then, you know, this is the this is the, the, the hand we've been dealt, so what do we do with it? And I tell the story of what I did with it, and at first I didn't do well with it, and then I pulled myself up and got myself some help and, and took some responsibility for my one precious life. And, and did some work on myself and and you know and and that's that's the important thing is that we all go through each of those phases too and so I tried to tell the story from each of those perspectives the little kid who felt powerless the 20 something young woman who was making bad choices but didn't understand why and then the 30 and 40 something woman who knew that I had to make better choices and tried and, you know, fell on my face a lot, but kept getting myself back up and trying again. Is it hard sometimes to sit there and, you know, when you're writing this, to put the pen to the paper just because you are sharing so much? And, you know, or, you know it's so hard to be honest and right you know it's like I know you know Rich Scheider that's what makes his book so good and when he does his stage he just talks about the stuff that happened to him and the paths he took and it's, it must be hard did you find it hard at all to write some of these stories and was sometimes it an emotional struggle because you were thinking of past things that weren't that great and now you're sharing with people and you're not sure how it's going to be you know responded to yeah it's you're very vulnerable you're very naked um and when you're writing it, in order to really bring the reader into the experience, you have to go back into those situations and relive them on a certain level. So it's it was emotionally very daunting at times to do that work. Um, but I also knew how to take care of myself in doing that. And then I remember the night before the book was published, and I was having a panic attack because I thought, oh, my God, what the hell have I just done? This is insane. I'm about to reveal every painful part of myself, every vulnerable thought, every stupid decision I made. I'm revealing stuff that my parents did that they weren't proud of, but they were human beings and doing the best they could at the time, you know, with their own human lives. 
I, I went into a panic and luckily had a friend, my friend Sarah Benincasa, who's also a memoirist, and reached out to her and she sent me this great email that reminded me something that is is an important part of this work and, and it's kind of what I just talked about in, in writing the book, is remembering that no matter what, the I on the page is not me. It is ultimately a narration, a narrative of my life. It is a constructed reality. Yes, it's my life. Yes, it's authentic. Yes, it's true. Yes, the events happen to me. Yes, the emotional truth is there. But ultimately, it is a memory, a memoir, a construction of a life. And I could have chosen a different angle, a different filter, a different lens to tell my life story through. And many of those stories would have been in it, but they would have had a different valence to them. And so it's this weird thing that you do when you write memoir is even though you are in it and it's you, it's still not you. I am separate from the character of Kelly Carlin in that book ultimately. And it's a weird thing, but um, it's what happens when we construct memory or when we tell a story at a cocktail party or when we have a great story we've told our whole life. Um, it's a story where we select things to highlight the power of the story um, and to highlight the lessons we learned or the stupidity of it in some way or, or the champion that we are, whatever it is. So no matter what, you can't tell every moment of your, your life you have to pick and choose, but with a memoir like this, it is raw and it is real and people are going to find out things about me that I'm not proud of. But that's, for me, that's so essential because if we aren't willing to be fully transparent and authentic with each other, human to human, I don't think we have much of a chance um, as a species because it's when we start to pretend that we are better than each other or better than the version of ourselves that we really are that we then separate ourselves into us versus them and elite versus you know non-elite or whatever it is and and then we're not we're not taking care of each other and we're not willing to show up as all of ourselves, which is the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. Now, earlier, you had mentioned that you walked away from doing your one, uh, your solo show, and then you came back to do it. What made you come back to do it? And, and, and you know, you said because your father wasn't happy with, you know, what was going on in, in it in, in the first one. What, what made you decide to come back and do it? And what was your attitude when you took on that project? In a, were you in a new uh site did you know it was it was it refreshing or what what happened well you know my dad died in 2008 and i knew that um i i you know i had the beginning of a memoir on a shelf and i'd had this 15 year solo show on a sh shelf somewhere and and after the initial kind of chaos and insanity of losing my dad and and uh, a whole new life presenting itself to me um, because of the, the people I was now hanging out with. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's something I'm working on right now. I'm actually wanting, I've got a book proposal about this time in my life, which is about 
really wrestling with my daughterhood. But but what happened was, I mean, it kind of fell into my lap. Um, Louis Black became a friend of mine after my dad died, a huge fan of my dad's, and he reached out to me, and we became friends. And he invited my husband and I to come aboard a cruise ship that he was going on with um, eight comedian friends of his that he had four-walled. He had rented one of the big lounges on this cruise ship. He had 400 Lewis Black fans coming on board. And every night they were doing stand-up comedy. And he said to me, I would love for you and Bob to come on board. And he knew I was a storyteller and had some great family stories. And he said, I need a day event. So why don't you come on board and play some videos of your dad and tell some family stories. It'll take you 75 minutes. And then you and Bob can be on an eight-day cruise with all of us, and we'll have a great time. And I was like, oh, my God, sign me up. This sounds like so much fun. What a blast. And so I showed up, and I had a couple of DVDs of my dad's, kind of clips of my dad's stuff. And so I play, I just put them in chronological order, pulled out some stories I had written, pulled out some stories from my dad's posthumous memoir, Last Words, and I did 75 minutes. I played a video, told a story, played a video, told a story. Well, at the end of 75 minutes, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. People had laughed and cried their way through it. And for the entire week, I was being inundated by people saying, Kelly, you have to get on stage. You have to tell these stories. This is beautiful. You're great at this. Da, 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 da. And I thought, oh, my God, the last thing I want to do is tour around America being George Carlin's daughter and telling stories about my dad. I'm like, I'm ready to have my own place in the spotlight and all this kind of stuff. And then I started talking to my friend Paul Provenza, who's a stand-up comedian, actor, was part of the, uh, did a, had a great show on Showtime, which you can still watch, called The Green Room with Paul Provenza, where he interviews comedians. I worked on that show. And he and I were talking about this idea, this concept, and he said to me, you know, Kelly, this could be an amazing way for you to get over your stage fright, to get on a stage, to find your own spotlight, to find your voice, to finally claim your spot on the stage that you deserve to have. You're a great storyteller. And at the same time, um, you know, find your way through the story and, and, and reveal things to, to your dad's audience that they never knew and to reveal the humanity of it. This is way before I had any idea for my memoir. And... And I realized that if I was going to really be finally free of being George Carlin's daughter and dealing with the shadow of that, that I had wrestled with my whole life, that I, if I was going to be free of it, I was going to have to walk through the fire of it. And that if I tackled it head on and tackled this story and stood on a stage, quote unquote, with my father and was myself and told my story through my truth um, with, with great love and affection, but also real blunt honesty that I knew at some point I would be done with this and I would feel like I had really worked through this issue. And so I decided to jump in. And Paul Provenza, who I feel has the greatest taste in comedy, I knew he wasn't going to let me do anything stupid or schmaltzy, or corny, or cringeworthy, and that he was going to hold my feet to the highest impeccable creative standards and help me create a beautiful 
experience for the audience. And he did. And I'm very proud of the show. Um, I don't do it anymore. I am done with it. By two years ago, I was emotionally done telling my story. My book had come out and I was ready to be really, really done with it. But it really did help me, you know, work through and wrestle with, you know, the voice of my dad in my head and the standards that he lived by and deciding are those my standards or his standards and having to deal with the fear of disappointing my father's fans or pissing them off or um, just living with having to deal with approval from everybody and feeling like I was in a spotlight, um, wanting to be in a spotlight because I, I like being on stage and I like having a point of view and, and I feel I was born to do this work. But, but the part of the spotlight that I needed to let go of is learning to not give a shit about what other people think about me, which my dad did so well. And, and so it, it, it taught me a lot about that. And it taught me how I'm similar to my father and how I'm different and that we're on two very different paths and that that's okay. And that I see the world differently at times from him and in other ways I see it the same. Um, but it really is the individuation process. How am I different than my parents? And how am I standing on their shoulders? And how am I letting go of what doesn't work for me anymore? And so it was a profound experience and I'm glad I did it. Um, but it, it, it was a tough, it's a tough show to do. It's 90 minutes and, uh, you know, uh, it's tough being on stage by yourself for 90 minutes. It's intense. <laughs> oh yeah. So now you said you, you, or walk, you're coming back to your podcast, uh, Waking Up the American Dream. Explain the podcast uh, from when you started in the beginning, and then why did you take a break from it? Yeah, you know, I originally started it, my podcast was the very thing I ventured into um, after my dad died. It was my first place to kind of put my toe in the water with actually going out in public and saying, hey, these are the thoughts in my head, and these are the people I find interesting, and this is the perspective I like. And the reason I called it Waking from the American Dream was before my dad died, I was going to do a documentary with that same name. Uh, I, I'm very interested in what's next for this country and really what's next for this species. How can we evolve our thinking in such a way that we can evolve our relationship with each other, with nature, uh, with our own minds, with our own bodies, um, you know, like I said, I was, I've been a practicing Buddhist for 20 years. I'm very interested in something called integral theory, which is uh, created by a gentleman named Ken Wilber. Um, you know, what is the next evolutionary step for human consciousness and how can we use it in the world? So I kind of use that as a launching point for, for, for the podcast to be able to talk to people that I find interesting, that I think are good, interesting thinkers that, um, you know, uh, that call bullshit on our culture um, that call bullshit on our egos, things like that. Um, so that's how I originally started the podcast. And it evolved over the years. Um, it became um, less about interviewing people and more about kind of my perspective only. And then um, I guess it was about two years ago when I was kind of done with everything. I just needed to put it aside for a while because I knew that I was going through a big transition and I knew I was letting go of being my father's daughter I was literally letting go of being that in public, on stage, and on social media. I was no longer taking care of his legacy on, on social media. And, and I just knew that it was a time for me to decide who I wanted to be in the world differently. 
And I just didn't know what to do with the podcast. So I just, I did a couple of episodes in 2015 and a couple of episodes in 2016, but was really overwhelmed with the book launch in 2015 and stuff like that. So um, I put it aside and I touch into it. But now that I kind of have finding my way again and seeing that I want to be a voice for this conversation again. And these webinars are part of that in helping people kind of be in choice around their own lives and pausing and kind of taking a break from the chaos. Um, so I don't know exactly what I'm doing with the podcast yet, but I have some topics that, you know, kind of eat at me all week and I just want to jump on for maybe 20 or 30 minutes. I used to do a 90 minute podcast, um, and then it went to 75 minutes, but it'll probably be more about 30 minutes now. Um, and I want to kind of use it as a thing where I, I don't get to talk about certain things during the webinars. I'm, I'm really being of service to people's process during the webinar and to these kind of tools and techniques and this ability to unplug and that's a separate space. So I just want to get back into the podcast and talk about, you know, feeling overwhelmed these days and wanting to yell at the TV and, <laughs> and being into weather porn and staring at the hurricane footage too much and all of that. Um, and you know, it kind of more of my humorous thoughts and things like that. So we'll see it's evolving right now. Um, and it, it's probably going to, I'm going to probably end up launching some sort of a premium Patreon kind of a, a, a space for myself where the podcast will be part of that, you know, it'll be a little extra, a little something um, for people. So we'll see. Um, but it's, it's called Waking from the American Dream. I have over 100 episodes. They're all great. They're all really fun. Um, so if people are interested, they're always there to dip into. Now I want to get back, I want to get back to the unplugged. What, how did you put your time frame of when you would get back to social media and what was that first day back? Is it like someone who let's say didn't eat steak for like two years <laughs> and then they ate it and they were just like a, a, a glutton, you know, just like give me a 25 ounce steak or what was it like? How did you choose the date that you would go back and what was that first day like? Because it's funny how social media works. Like my girlfriend was not on Facebook forever. And then a few years ago, I was like, well, why don't you just get on Facebook? You can get in touch with people in college. Yeah, I don't want to do it. And then she got it. And now, you know, I can't get her off it. It's like, you know, yeah. it's just yeah. posting it. And for her, you know, and for me, I'm on it a lot. I promote my show and I look at stuff and we all check out stuff. We write jokes. We want to, unfortunately, we want to we see if they get a laugh or a like. What was yeah. it like when you first went back? Um, well, I decided, you know, I did it from the summer solstice. I actually did it on my birthday, June 15th through September 21st last year. And so I, I picked the autumnal equinox to come back. And um, it's, it's a nice like date. Um, and I just I can't really remember. But I mean, I was so detached from it all. It was just so lovely. And I just didn't care. And you know, basically, the first thing I did was I kind of went on and I just I unfollowed a lot of accounts that I realized were just part of the chaos. And it was just too much um, political frenzy for me. So I just I unfollowed a lot of political accounts that I had started to follow. And and I really um, I did some I did more posting than checking out the feed at first. Um, you know, I would kind of check out my mentions and, and check out, um, you know, that kind of thing and having conversations with people, but I didn't go on the feed too much and interact Facebook. I rarely go on the feed ever. I just don't find that pleasant at all anymore in Facebook. And that is one thing that did change for me with Facebook. I post, I interact with people who are on my posts, but I generally am not part of the conversation on Facebook. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just like anything else. You don't want to start too quickly. You just want to kind of just check it out and see what it feels like. And I was very much more aware of what it did to my body while I was doing it. And I would watch immediately a heightened state of anxiety happening for me, a heightened state of arousal, not sexual, um, but like arousal, like kind of irritation, um, energy in my body, you know, kind of when you're focusing on your sitting meditation, you get to really learn to observe your body, what kind of things are going on in my mind, the tension in my body, and realizing that I don't like that feeling. I don't like that feeling. I don't like walking away and feeling like that for the next 10 minutes. And so it really helped me regulate that. Now, of course, you know, all that goes to shit after a while. And, you know, I get sucked in again and get overwhelmed and get into it. And also love, the so like you were saying, I love the social aspect of it. I love hanging out with my friends. My cousin, Dennis Carl, that he's on there. I love that aspect of it, but I can also feel the effects of it. I start to leave my body. I start to get spaced out feeling. I start to get a lot of tension and anxiety in my body. I don't like that. So I'm looking forward to kind of once I've launched this course and, you know, September 24th comes around and I'm kind of deepening into fall, kind of looking forward to in two weeks kind of unplugging a little bit more and and regulating my interaction with all that stuff again um but right now i feel like i'm kind of in promotion mode and have to go on and sell myself which is a horrible feeling because i hate selling myself but really it's about wanting to get people to just you know connect with this work so that they have a place to land themselves i'm just you know i i, I want to offer the work to people so it's, you know, Steve, it's tough promoting yourself and all this stuff. It feels icky, but at the same time, you know, you love your conversations you have with your guests. So you want people to experience them. You know, it's such a weird thing. Exactly. Now, now on your, from the first one, the seminar you gave, how was the feedback? Was it, I, I read some of the, the quotes and it seems really good. And do you, do you, does that really make you feel good when you get that good, I mean, we all get happy when we get good feedback, but because yours, you really try to make a difference. Does it does it help you make f you feel good and and just be excited and so you know pumped for this next one? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I don't do this work because I don't want to have an impact. I do this work because I want to have an impact on people's lives. And when I see from day one, people having ahas people taking care of themselves more, people creating more healthy boundaries so that they can have some self-care, people learning to love themselves more. Um, it is thrilling for me. It's why I do this work. It's why I was a life coach for five years. I love watching people have transformations, have the big wake-ups, um, get more joy in their life, to be able to soothe themselves and take care of themselves better, when they're having crappy days or when they're facing uh, big catastrophic events in their life. Um, these are important things. This is where the rubber meets the road for all of us. And we don't get to have happy, joyous lives every single moment and every single day. But if I can teach people to connect to a little bit more joy and wonder in their day, to unplug from the chaos a couple of more seconds a day, and to be able to find some compassion for themselves in the world when things get tough, then I feel like I have made a difference in the world. And 
that for me is everything. Uh, you know, it's, it's really been a weird life watching a, a parent, you know, change people's lives and make a difference in the world on a profound level for, for, for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And so I, I feel like it's important standing on his shoulders that I can offer a real impact in people's lives. So when I, when, when people give me feedback or when I see that something's working or even when people aren't doing well with the course and I have to come up with against, you know, how am I not communicating this well enough or what, what tool can I offer them? You know, that's a real gift too. You know, it's like, how can I, how can I support this person and help them tap into the resources that they already have within them that they've just forgotten they have. Um, so yeah, it's, it's such a joy to offer this work. And the thing is for me too, I show up authentically. I'm not a guru. I'm not some sort of perfect expert. I'm Kelly. I say the word fuck a lot. I want to be the Oprah who says fuck. Um, I'm silly. I'm goofy. I mess up. I forget things. Um, I'm human. I don't do it perfectly. I do it poorly. I do it slowly. Um, just like the rest of us. And so, um, I invite people to come into the space, find a place to land once a week with a bunch of other human beings who are just trying to do the best that they can do. And we have a few laughs. I give you a few tools. I read a few great poems. And we usually all end up leaving the webinar with a great sense of meaning and joy um, and kind of launch ourselves into the week that way. That's awesome. Well, you know, I want to thank you for taking the time. Uh, now, the website is the kellycarlinsite.com, and you can get all the info on there for uh, Unplugged, right? Yeah, go to the teaching tab. If you go to kellycarlin.com forward slash teaching, um, and, um, and if you're listening to this um, and you find me, find me on Facebook or on Twitter, and I will send you a personal link for 20% off the course um, because you listened to Steve's show and you were here today, and I would love to offer your listeners that. Well, great. I want to thank you. I thank you. I'm glad we caught up and did this. So people, and what's your Twitter again? My Twitter is Kelly underscore Carlin. Because your people follow her on Twitter, go to the website, sign up, sign up. It's good. You know, you got to unplug. And people, so you follow her on Twitter. You follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Also go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 645 episodes up there. You can email me, cooper, coopertalk.net. And don't forget my other website because, you know, you want to start getting healthy, you know, because you're going to eat bad in the holidays. So get my book, StopTheSalt.com. You know, when I had a health problem, the heart problem a few years ago, I wrote a book, 120 recipes. Very easy. No pictures to intimidate you. No no pictures, no long list of ingredients. But go to StopTheSalt.com. You, you can get it at Amazon.com, but if you get it at StopTheSalt.com, I make more money. So people, go follow Kelly. Follow me. I'm Steve Cooper for Walk My Mind. You guys have a great day.